Welcome to Stand Out from the Crowd. I'm your host, Darin. In a world saturated with information about successful individuals, have you ever wondered about the unique journeys that shaped them? How did they make it happen? I created this podcast with the goal of unraveling the narratives behind some of the most remarkable women leaders and entrepreneurs. The triumphs, the challenges, and the moments that tested their resilience, we cover it all. Don't forget to subscribe to Stand Out From The Crowd and to give a five-star review because the stories we share on this podcast are worth it. We are worth it. Don't you think so? I hope you do. Tune in every week for compelling conversations that will broaden your perspective, provide you practical tips, and also ignite the spark within you. So stay tuned, stand out, and let's embark on this transformative journey together. Are you ready? Let's go. Today, you are going to experience a paradigm shift in the way you think about sales. In this episode, we delve into the world of ethical sales with our standout guest, Ghazi Amin, a seasoned professional who has engaged with over 100,000 individuals during her career in politics before transitioning to entrepreneurship. Rejecting outdated and manipulative sales tactics, Gazi is on a mission to transform how we view sales, placing authenticity, genuine connections, and ethical practices at the forefront. She has not only achieved recognition as a top sales representative, but has also become a thought leader in that space. In 2023, she introduced groundbreaking sales methodologies that are set to redefine the way businesses approach selling. So whether you are an entrepreneur, leader, or aspiring sales professional, this episode is packed with insights that will revolutionize your mindset. Gazi, how are you doing today? I'm feeling excited. Oh, I love your energy today. This is what we are here for. This is an honor to get to know you a little bit more, to get to discover your story. Because if you have listened to this podcast before, I do believe that in order to understand the impact you are making, it's important to understand the journey that led you to become the woman, the entrepreneur, and the leader you are today. Take us a few years back. I know you had a previous career in politics. How did you decide and why did you decide as a young woman to start a career in politics? I started volunteering at a young age. So that was like my first entry point. There was campaigns going on and I was like, oh, like I really care about what these people stand for. I'm going to volunteer with them. And in Canada, you have to get a certain number of volunteer hours in order to graduate. So for me, that was, I think, 40 hours. I ended up doing like upwards of a thousand hours of what they call community service um, because I fell in love with that environment. Like I really, I'm a go-getter. I love trying new things. I also am pretty competitive. (laughs) And so (laughs) politics was a really good place for me to be in. I really loved um, the work that I was doing was in volunteer recruitment and helping build grassroots teams amongst young people. So it was something I was really passionate about. And then once I got into it, I kind of never doubted it or questioned it. I was in it for like 
quite a few years I'd worked in the premier's office, the prime minister's office. I worked in multiple ministries across the provincial government. So I spent many years and many chapters there. While I was there, I loved it. But then I think something inside me changed or maybe I became more connected to my intuition that it started being like, this isn't long-term anymore. Like you have to, you have to shift. And now is the time to shift. And every time I talk to women who leave their careers, they talk to me about the same thing, whether it's like a whisper or their intuition where they just feel like the gut feeling. Yeah. That gut feeling that you're just like, I don't know what it is, but I know this isn't it. And that's exactly what I was feeling at work on weekends as I was driving to work, as I was leaving work, it just kept reminding me of like, I think I meant to do something different. Um, and that was where that started of like, what am I meant to do? Like, what's next? Because this is all that I really knew, you know? And so when I decided to quit, I actually had no idea what I was going to do, which is what people will tell you not to do. Don't quit without any backup plan. Like cool. always have things planned. But I got to a point where I was like, there is no backup plan. I'm going to figure it out as I go. And oh, that was the start of this entrepreneurship journey. Tell us a little bit more about the transition. You decided to quit politics without knowing what you would do with your life, basically. But you trusted yourself enough that you would figure it out. So how hard or how easy was the transition? Well, I'll tell you what I would have loved was that it was a clear answer. Like, I just wanted it to be like, okay, do this. And then I know like, okay, this is the thing I meant to do and go. But like I mentioned to you, I didn't fully know what that was. So I think while part of it was building your business, the bigger part of it was finding myself. That was the journey of getting to where I am now because most entrepreneurs start a business that they're really passionate about or a cause that they really love. And so I needed to give myself that time after leaving this political career to think for myself, like, who is Gazi? What do I love? I didn't know these things because I was working 12 hour days and doing my job. So the journey was longer than I thought. Again, I wish it was just like, oh, I'm going to do this. And it was an easy transition. But there was months where I was asking myself, like, what am I good at? Like, I knew I was good at certain things. What was I good at? And what did I really love? And that's where my personal development study came in. And I started, you know, journaling and visualizing and actually creating time for myself to be like, okay, if anything was possible, what would I love to create? And so it took way longer than I thought. Um, it took me about a year to really get wow. energized about what that next iteration of my chapter looked like. But now that I look back, it's like, obviously you can't rush that process, True. right? Like it's not a, okay, this morning I wake up and the answer is here, it takes time and it deserves that time as well. And you are pointing out something very important, which is taking time for intro 
inspection, right? Which we don't do. I have never done that. And, and I remember, you know, once I graduated university, uh, panicking uh, because I was, because of different reasons and my studies in Canada, I couldn't get into my industry. And so I was like, what I'm going to do with my life? But I didn't know what I was meant to do what I was meant to achieve because I had spent my entire life in school studying, yeah. right? And that's something that they don't teach us. That's something that at least no one talked about when I was in school or when I was in university and growing up. And then I found myself as an adult graduating from university who was supposed to know it all, like, okay, this is the career I want to do, this is the job I am in for, and this is this, and this is this. And because the plan didn't go as planned, as it often goes, <laughs> by the way, right. <laughs> I was like, that was so hard. I would cry days and nights because I didn't know what to do with myself because I simply never had thought about it, right? And so I know that during your uh, in introspection phase, uh, you did what we call a Vipassana retreat. So I did some research about Vipassana. Yes, <laughs> and amazing. So, so it is a way of self-transformation through self-observation. Mm -hmm. And you sat in a retreat 10 days in a silent meditation. So does it mean that you spend 10 days without talking? Like, what is it? Tell us yes. more about your experience. Okay. Yeah. So just to give context, I just sat for Vipassana a few months ago for my first time. And that wasn't my first journey to introspection, but I would say it's been my deepest journey with introspection so far. And I was at this kind of point in my life where it was a new iteration of this chapter. As you know, in entrepreneurship, you have to pivot. Things look different as you evolve, your business does as well. And I felt like I was at that point of, okay, I want to do something new and different. What's this next chapter going to look like for me? And I had been introduced to this practice called Vipassana. So for those who don't know, they call it a retreat. I'm like, let's not use that name because it's not the like beautiful jungle retreat you think about in Costa Rica in a villa. It's a practice where you commit to not talking for 10 days. And that's not the hardest part. At least it wasn't for me. So on top of the no talking for 10 days, you're also not writing. So that for someone who journals, that was a big deal for me. You're not reading. For someone who has a daily study practice, that was difficult for me. But the two hardest things were you couldn't make eye contact or smile with people. So you're totally removing human connection for an extrovert like me. That was super difficult. So imagine you're, I was with 50 other women at this center in Quebec in the nature and we could not make eye contact with each other. We could not smile or share connection. So that was also really challenging. And then a part of the journey as well in the experience is to change your diet. So you're eating like vegan for the week and you're also not eating after 11. And for a foodie and a dessert lover like me, that was also challenging. So on all fronts, this was 
an experience that really, really stretched me to like beyond there was discomfort and then there was Vipassana for me. So it was quite the journey. And, and what did you learn from this experience? I'm still learning if I'm being completely honest. Like again, this morning I woke up and sat for my practice, me at home, even though I'm not at the center. So still trying to really take my meditation practice further. And with that, I'm still learning. But I would say there was three things that I got tattooed on my arm okay. that were a part of my journey there. And there were three concepts that really landed for me in that moment. So the first word that I got tattooed is called anicca. This is written in the language of Pali. And anicca means law of impermanence. So accepting that everything is impermanent and changing mm -hmm. every second. Right now, things are changing and changing and changing. And so just understanding life through this lens um, was really profound for me. That was one of them. The second word is upeka, which means equanimity. And so if everything is impermanent, which is the first concept, then why be so reactive to everything? Why crave or have aversion? Can you remain equanimous, so mentally balanced? Again, that was hard for me. It's a new concept. I'd never really heard of it. And so it really landed yeah. for me. And the last word that I have is meta, which means self-love and okay. everlasting love, like love and compassion to, to share with everyone and really believing that that is my essence. So these are a few of the lessons that I had to go through. But if there was one thing that I would say is that oh, it is so difficult to just shut up and sit with your own <laughs> thoughts and your own breath. It is not easy. Especially if you're an, an extrovert. As an introvert myself, at the beginning, when you were explaining the concept, I was like, it's not that bad. This is something I could do, right? Uh, but like, then oh, not smiling. This is a good idea. <laughs> this is Disneyland for me. <laughs> Disneyland yeah. for introverts, right? But then not smiling, not looking at people, though. Uh, yeah, this is an extra, this is the next level, definitely. I don't know if I would be able to do it, but listen, you did it. And just you talking about it, we can feel the positive energy that is coming out of it. And I love it. Very peaceful. Yeah, thank you. I will say you said, I don't know if I could do it. I also didn't know if I could do it. There was multiple times throughout the journey where I thought I was like, just not able to continue. And I felt like this is just not as easy as I thought. No. Um, but there's something that happens when you do what you think you can't do. And the grit and resilience and just self-belief and confidence that comes with self. Like I remember on day six being like, there's no freaking way I can last another four days. Get me in my car. I'm going home to have a steak and hang out with my cat. Like I'm over this. But as you work through those thoughts and you remain equanimous and you believe that it's impermanent and this is going to pass and how to sit with yourself and be mm. here in the present moment, 
when I didn't quit and on the 10th day when I was walking to my car, I was like, I did it. You know, like I'm sure anybody who's listening, even yourself, you've had that thing that you're like, I didn't think I could do that. And I did it and I'm proud of myself. And so that's part of the experience of putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and then being reminded of your power and owning that power, right? And you know, you took it day by day. And this is very important, especially as an entrepreneur, right? Because there are days that are very exciting and there are a lot of days when you question yourself, why am I doing this to myself? And so in during those days, it's important to not quit, right? And this is this mindset one day after the other, that when you are not quitting one day, you are not quitting the following day and the day after. And then you yes. realize that you have been an entrepreneur for months, years, and so on, which is the perfect transition, actually, to what you are doing now. You had a career in politics. You decided to trust your gut instinct, feeling like you were meant to something more. You took time one year to figure it out, and then you decided to focus on sales. So why sales? What was your aha moment when you find out, oh, okay, this is what I am meant to do. This is who I am meant to be. I wish I could point out like there was these one few moments because that's what people think. There's this one thing that happens and you have this aha moment, (laughs) right? And it's just like everything clicks. But in my experience, it's usually not as clean as that. So to give you context, we're now 2024. I started my entrepreneurship journey in 2020. So over the last four years of creating a business and figuring all of this entrepreneurship stuff out, my business has taken, I would say, a a few turns and pivots. It's always kind of remained in the same space, entrepreneurship, business, money, wealth, mindset, helping women grow their businesses, building community of like-minded people. But the beauty of it is that there has been iterations And at every level, I've been called to focus more on a certain aspect of this mission or life's purpose, if we would call it. And I like to share that because, again, like it's not as clean as I figured it out. I knew it was this one thing and I've been running with it. Like I started as a digital marketer. That's how it started. And then I became a coach. And then I became a mindset coach. And then I created a community of coaches and went that route. And then I felt, oh, that's not it this season. There needs to be another pivot. And so I share that because I really want to be honest about what this entrepreneurship journey is like. And though I wish it's like, oh, it's an aha sales thing. It's an iteration of who am I becoming? What am I really good at? And what brings me joy right now? And leaning into different things at different times. So to your point, right now I'm in the sales aspect. This is where I was feeling called to go to now. So there was something about my energy now that was like, I really feel like this is the next chapter. I really have a vision and a goal to do with this. But I'm also flexible with that changing. And I do some other things here and there. So 
For this specific sales one, I would say Vipassana had a big role with that. I was asking myself before I left, like, I'm going to give myself the time and space to connect with my intuition and my intuition will tell me this is the next place to go. And again, I'm one of those people that I'm not good at one thing very good. I'm kind of good at a lot of things and I'm like pretty much a big picture person. I don't really love menial tasks. So I'm like, what would that look like? And there's this thing that happens when you ask yourself deep questions that somehow the answer comes. And it's not like it's a voice or a certain thing. It might be different for everyone, but you get guidance. And so I was like, I need to know what is the next part of this chapter? Like, what am I meant to do? And at Vipassana, you're not allowed to write. And there was a few meditations in which I was getting ideas while I'm sitting of like, this is who you're meant to work with. This is the direction. Like, what about this idea? What about this idea? And so I would get these ideas. And at first I was like, no, no, no. Like ideas get away. Like I'm here to be present in the moment. And then something was like, these are the ideas. Like, this is what you've been asking for. And now that you're finally quiet, the answers are coming to you. So I had this moment where I was like, oh, shit. Like, don't ignore this. Like, write this down. So I actually broke the rules. I ended up finding a paper and pen, which, like, you're not supposed to do. But I could not help it. I was like, oh, my God. Like, these ideas were – the way that I could explain it to you was – I was, it was flowing. Like I couldn't shut my mind off with ideas, marketing messages, caption ideas. Like we were talking about our mutual friend, Amanda, like I wrote down, I told her the first thing I got out, like I wrote out 46 TikTok ideas while I was there. And I'm someone that's like, I don't really care when the idea comes, I'll do it. Like, but they were like, very like, these are the videos you're going to film. Like this is what you're going to talk about. And it felt so easy that I was like, okay, like this is the route. And so when I came out of my 10 day experience, I gave myself some time to think about it. I also shared it with my husband, Ali, who's like a mastermind buddy for me. And we always like, you know, help each other out with these career stuff. So I was like, this is what was coming. Like, do you see that for me? And it was like, whoa, like I see that. And I was like, I see that too. And so that was like, it wasn't like one moment. It was like, oh my God, like I'm feeling excited about this. I'm scared. Okay, that's good. Like scared is a good feeling. Let me lean into this. Like, what is it going to look like? And it kind of like bit by bit came together rather than like, a, this is the answer. And like, I'm going to go with it. I kept kind of being curious and like piecing little bits of it together. And I'm still growing the company. And every day I get new ideas. And so it's kind of like creating as I go rather than like creating it and then creating it, if that makes sense. I love your your experience because it really goes again the cliche that you have to figure it out before you start <laughs> launching or before you start becoming an entrepreneur and i know a lot of people hold themselves back from launching their idea or becoming an entrepreneur because they feel like they are not ready or they haven't figured it out yet but the thing is you never figure it out and you are never ready you learn as you go i would say this is what entrepreneurship is about it's really learning as you go because you cannot imagine believe think of 
one second, the million things <laughs> that you will have to go through and that you will learn positive and negative, but they are all lessons, right? That will help you become a better leader and a better entrepreneur. That's so true. Thanks for saying that. Honestly, it's even a reminder for me, like, you don't know step three if you don't take step one and two. Yeah. Right? Like you just, and to your point, you can't even imagine it. Like you can't be like, oh, this is what it's going to look like because it's not going to look like that. And so you may as well like let go of that and just build the belief that you're going to figure it out as you go. And the opportunities and the people and the resources come when you take action. If you don't take action and you're like, I'm going to plan it before I do it, you're not going to get the ideas and the resources and the people that are going to help you. But once you start to take action, the next step shows itself. Even for me, as I'm building this iteration of my company, I'm getting new ideas as I go. Last week, I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe we should have a creative department. Let's see what that mm -hmm. looks like. I wouldn't have known that if I didn't just get started. And so that's such a big lesson even for me in my fourth year of entrepreneurship, but also a lesson for me in my first year of entrepreneurship. It's always going to be the same. Just take the first step and the next step starts to show itself. And let me tell you something. It never goes as planned. Yeah, that's, that's the rule number one. <laughs> it never rule goes as one. planned. And not only does it not always go as planned, but I actually think it would kind of take the fun away if it always went by plan. Like True. part of entrepreneurship is this idea that things are never the same and there's always growth happening. And so I was having a, a conversation with a friend yesterday and she was just like, oh, I'm just trying to figure it out. And I'm like, have fun while figuring it out. Like if you figured out that would be the end of the growth, there is actually fun and learning and enjoyment in yeah. this process. That's what entrepreneurship is about, really. Like you got to enjoy this process. You do. You do. So now let's talk about sales. Mm -hmm. Now that you are into sales, <laughs> why do so many people feel uncomfortable with sales and especially entrepreneurs? Why is that a lot of them avoid the sales conversations? Oh, such a good question. And, and you're right. A lot of entrepreneurs are uncomfortable with sales. And the truth is, if you don't sell, you have a hobby. You don't have a business. And so if you want to actually create a business, you have to feel comfortable with sales. And so your question was like, why do they feel uncomfortable? I don't want to give one size fits all answers because it's so different for everyone. But I can tell you in my personal experience and also working with hundreds of other entrepreneurs and their teams, I found that where it starts to get sticky is where people get lose focus of what selling is about. So most times the entrepreneurs, when they're selling, they're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about the sale. They're thinking about money, their business, their worth, their dollar amount. It's about them. That's not the right focus to have. 
if you really want to get comfortable with sales, you have to shift the narrative and the focus of sales. So it's not about you. It's about the other person. So if you can remove yourself from the focus, the focal point of sales conversations, and maybe we switch it to how can I be of service to this person? I can tell you it totally changes your results with sales. So what we know is how you feel about sales dictates your results in sales. So if you don't feel good about selling, you're not going to hit your sales targets. But if you feel good about selling, like you feel like you're helping someone or you're being of service, you're going to do better in sales. And so that's one of the first shifts that we need to embody in the sales space. And you hear a lot of entrepreneurs say, you know, Oh, I don't like selling, like I'm a creator, I'm mm -hmm. a visionary, uh, you know, I like the creative part of the business, but not the selling part of the business. And so it's true when you place yourself from a, a position of service, it changed the paradigm, right? And it changed the dynamic because it's no longer about you, but it's about putting yourself at the service of others. Yes, yes, it makes a yes. Difference indeed. It makes a huge difference. It's about service. So I'll share one of my favorite quotes that one of my mentors, Bob Proctor, taught me. And it really was one of those groundbreaking things for me. And he said, selling is not something you do to someone. Selling is something you do for someone. So the moment even I hear that, like I, it relaxes my shoulders. I'm like, yes, I'm doing this to help someone. And when you go into sales with that energy, you will see the results are so different than when you go into a sales convo thinking, I need to hit my sales target, or I don't know if they're going to pay this. I don't know if I even believe in myself to charge this amount. It's a very different feeling around sales. And so that's where I spend a lot of my time focusing with teams because I realize a lot of people struggle there. That's where they get caught up in the game. And that might be one of the reasons, actually, as you are sharing this, I'm thinking about women entrepreneurs underpricing themselves. And that oh, might yeah. be one of the reasons. It's because the focus is on them and the lack of maybe self-confidence rather than having this shift and positioning themselves from a place of service where they know that they will support someone, so they will help someone, you know, solve their problems. And so there is a price point to this service. Exactly, exactly. And you like you nailed it, that self-worth and their belief in themselves. And that's why when we talk about sales, we can't only talk about the mechanics of sales. We also have to talk about the spirit of sales and the mindset of sales and the role that that plays in it. Because I could tell you, okay, go and charge $5,000 for your service. But if you haven't built self-belief in yourself and know the worth and the value that you're bringing for your clients, you're not going to be able to sell. You might be able to say, I charge 5,000, but people won't pay you because they're, 
they don't feel your confidence because you don't yeah. have that confidence, right? And so that's such a big part of it as well that you can have the strategy, but if you don't have the belief, you won't be able to implement that strategy. What are your thoughts on cold emails and cold DMs? Oh my God, I can go, I could go on about this. I mean, don't send cold DMs, like it's icky. But here's where I, I'm happy you asked this question so I can kind of go a little bit deeper into that because in my experience is that I don't reply to cold messages. I so if I somebody, know. right? Like, listen, if you're going to send me a message that you've copy and pasted to 50 other people, I don't feel like you care about me and I don't think that I can trust you. And so right away, I don't want to collaborate with you. I don't want to hire you. I don't want to see what you have to offer because you've put in no effort. And so that's where I'm like this whole cold copy paste strategy, it's got to go. But where I believe in sending these messages is in sales, you have to have some actions that are money generating activities. And mm -hmm. so outreach is a part of that. I think there is a way in which we can do outreach and it not be cold DMs, like how you and I connected. You had a cold outreach. We had never met before. You connected with me on Instagram DM, but you did not send me a basic templated copy and paste message. That's how we built a connection. Mm -hmm. We sent voice notes. We shared lovely messages. We talked about mutual friends. Like we built a real human relationship. And so that's where I'm like, I hate the cold DMs. I want you to DM me, but I want you to put effort yeah. in your DM. I want you to actually look at my profile and see what's important to me. Who am I? What do I actually do? So when you send me a message being like, hey, I love that you're helping coaches do this. It's like, that's not what I do. You didn't look at my profile. Mm -hmm. That's a cold DM. You're not getting a reply from me. But when I have Doreen sending me this lovely voice note saying, I love this content that you created about this specific thing. I know you've taken time to get to know me. And right on, you should be doing outreach in your business, but you want to do it in a way that feels actually authentic and good. Mm -hmm not bro marketing. There has to be a way that we can outreach and it not feel icky. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And I feel, you know, because there is this misconception. I mean, it is a numbers game. Of course it is a numbers game, but then you want to be strategic, you know, about where you put your effort and how mm. you, you get to that number game. Right. And indeed, especially now everyone is on social media. So can you imagine like people receiving tens, dozens, uh, sometimes hundreds and sometimes more cold emails and cold DMS per day? Like, they are not going to reply back to you. Like even myself, yeah. like at my at my level, I receive a couple of DMs per day, especially on on, on LinkedIn. But I'm like, sometimes yeah. I don't even read them because I know exactly what it is before I open it. You see what I mean? Exactly. And I mean the the name of this podcast is called Stand Out for a Reason, right? It's about. So you said in a world where everybody's getting DMs and everybody's online and on Instagram and promoting their business, how do you stand out? And so if everyone's doing these copy and paste outreach, when I go ahead and I send a voice note or a video mm -hmm. that 
that's how you stand out. That's how you build real authentic connections. And it is a numbers game. You're right. But I would rather have quality than quantity. So I'm not going to message 200 people, try and sell 200 people a day and take a very copy paste approach. Maybe I'm having one conversation a day, but it's a really meaningful conversation where we're going deep and we're actually having a sales conversation. And so for me, I would really go, I would prioritize authenticity and quality versus automation and quantity. It could look different for every business, but personally, that's what I prefer. Mm -hmm. One of the latest trends on social media, and you have talked about it on Instagram, is the girl map. The girl map uh, is presented from a a funny perspective, right? Those uh, women buying expensive stuff and doing the math and how much it's going to cost them if they save, if they don't go to Starbucks and, you know, and so on and so on. On the other side, it perpetuates the absence of financial literacy among women. And this trend has surfaced on social media last summer But, you know, the lack of financial literacies among uh, women is something that has been around forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you share your thought on this? Yeah. And listen, I want to say, like, at first, I kind of thought it was funny, too. There was a few that I laughed about. But then when I really sat with it, I realized this is not right. And I don't want to have a part of this. And when I created a video about this and put it on social media, I got some haters, you know, people being like, it's supposed to be funny. Like it's humorous, like just take the humor in it. And listen, I can appreciate some good humor, but when you really think about it, it's reinforcing this belief that women don't know how to manage their money. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm not willing to get behind. I know based on experience, I mean, most of the clients I work with are women. And so I already know that women face challenges with their money blocks. Women, if we look at the stats, women versus men on who makes the decisions, how money moves. Historically, it hasn't been a women's job to manage money. Now, of course, in 2023, 2024, women are rocking it. That's not the narrative that we're seeing a dominant narrative that women aren't good with money. Now we're seeing women are really good with money. You meet women, millionaires, billionaires, artists. So you know that women can manage money, but it's in these subtle ways that we reinforce paradigms that women don't know how to manage their money. And that's simply not a good belief to have. And I think something that we should all be very mindful of and really see what's behind the trend. It's funny, but underneath it, it's saying that women are irresponsible with money. They blow it on material things. They care about nails and purses and shopping. And great, I also care about my nails and purses, but I'm also an excellent money manager. And so that's where I'm like, hmm, what are we really saying about women and money? And how can we be empowering rather than putting out beliefs that are not good for women empowerment as a whole. 
Yeah, that's that's quite accurate. My last question to you, uh, Gazi, what would you like to be remembered for? Mm, what a great question. Something that I've been feeling really called to when I started my journey in 2020, part of my goal was to help other young people figure out what they want to do before they get boxed into what university is and what career path you want to go on. Because if you remember, part of my story was I didn't really know that when I was in high school. And so if I think about the impact I want to leave behind and the legacy I would really love to help young people and be known as someone that helped the younger generation. I don't know exactly what that looks like. Part of me thinks that I got to get into schools this year. So if you're listening to this podcast and you know how to bring me into a school, please DM me and, and, and help me manifest this goal. But part of me, I see young people. And so whatever that looks like, I haven't totally pieced it together, but I'd love to help young people tap into what their true potential is and not fall into what their parents think they should do. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'm, I'm feeling called to that. Let's see how it unfolds. Oh, I love it. It doesn't have to be icky. Gazi, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And thanks for having this. I imagine that it's helping a lot of people. And I'm so grateful that I got to be on this episode with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being part of it.